Hello and welcome to Empowering Workplaces. We're so excited to kick off 2023 with our special guest, Dr. Andrea Hollingsworth, a psychotherapist and former university professor who works with organizational leaders to help instill cultures of compassion in workplaces. Join us for this awesome discussion. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. Welcome to the Empowering Workplaces podcast, Andrea. It's so, so lovely to have you here. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself in a second, but first... Um, I just wanted to say how lucky I feel that our cross pa- our paths crossed, and I'm so grateful to our mutual friend Eric that put us in touch. And I think every conversation that you and I have had over the last several months, I just absolutely admire what you do. I love the the difference that you're making in workplaces that you're making in people's lives. And today, we're going to talk about a topic that's so near and dear. I know to both mine and Maddie's hearts, and I've just been so impressed with how you approach compassion in the workplace, that it's something that you've made a focus of your work and you work with organizations on it to instill it more um, into their business. And I know that sometimes and that that's not necessarily an easy feat and that it's there's still many opportunities for us to work with organizations to just prove the importance of it and show just how critical it is. So it is just such an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on this show today. And before we dig into our discussion and the million questions that I have for you, um, please tell our audience just a little bit more about your background, about yourself, and then we'll jump into our dialogue. Oh, Sonia, it is so awesome to be here. I've been looking forward to this and the admiration is mutual. I love what you're doing in the world. And I think we have so many mutual passions um, for empowering working people to feel better and do better work. So yes, me, I, I am a therapist, as you said. I'm a former academic, though. I spent many years in ivory towers. And uh, in 2016, I left that world and I'm now doing other things. So uh, when I was a a researcher and a professor, compassion was one of my interdisciplinary research topics. I was always just really fascinated by, you know, what is compassion? Um, Is compassion a personality trait in people Mm -hmm. or is it more of a skill that can be cultivated in people kind of like you can cultivate a good golf swing or something Mm -hmm. hence the answer to that is yes it's more (laughs) of a skill that you can actually work on um i looked into how empathy is felt and expressed um how compassion uh, gets played out in the world and makes a difference in groups of people and so now uh, in addition to my work with with my therapy clients, I work with organizational leaders to help them with the skill of compassion mm-hmm. in their leadership style, and also really thinking about um, communication practices and structural changes that they can make to create a culture of compassion in the workplace, uh, which can make really just a huge difference when it comes to wellness and performance and productivity for people. I love that. And I love that you're doing that work because there, there's so much talk, I think, in our field, especially over the last few years about upskilling and reskilling and what skills do you need to be successful and 
what's in shortage. And then also people talk about hard skills and soft skills. And I think many researchers have said, well, wait a minute, these things that you know, we talk about as soft skills, oftentimes are like really hard to master, but are so mm. critical. And they're this foundation of so many different jobs. And mm. one thing that I've, I've really appreciated, even though COVID brought so many difficulties and complications in many different ways, is that in, in many ways, I think it helped more people realize how important empathy is, how important compassion is in the way that we interact with people at work. And I think before, you know, maybe if you think, I, I oftentimes think about the podcast and the conversation between Adam Grant and Brene Brown and Simon Sinek that said like, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, none of us would have a job in this field. And I think back to when, that was probably around the time I started my career about 20 years ago, that at that point, still a lot of interactions with pe between people, you expected them to be much more formal and maybe cold, I don't know if that's the right word, but there was a, a certain way you expected to interact with people at work in a different way that you were expected to interact with people in your personal life. And I love that over time we're seeing that change and that a lot more organizations and a lot more people are saying like, no, like it's so critical for us to recognize that everybody else is a person and that they're going through different things. And then how do we, in some ways, maybe redefine this contact conduct in the workplace? Um, and what are the rules behind it? And how do you practice compassion in such a way that still makes, you know, helps people be productive and doesn't necessarily go against it. And so those yeah. are all the things that we're going to talk about. But I know one of the yeah. things that um, we wanted to talk about at the beginning a little bit is this, maybe distinction between empathy and compassion and what is empathy and what is compassion and how do you start to build towards that compassionate workplace and what are some of the things that you've seen in your work? Mm, yes. Well, first of all, I just want to comment on, on what you were saying earlier about really people leaning into these, these questions about, you know, how do we take better care of people in the workplace and that being something that that's on the radar now, versus before. And mm -hmm. I just have to say really briefly that I do think that we are emerging, especially in the past few years, from a time of collective trauma. There's a mental, <laughs> yeah. there's a mental health crisis. People are suffering <laughs> everywhere. So and of course, they're suffering at work, right? Yeah. So our nervous systems are still not over uh, what we've all been through, especially in the past three years. And it does just keep coming. I mean, we've got politics, we've got the economy, we've got climate stuff, we've got racism, we've got the mental health crisis, we've got, if you're in Minnesota, we've got winter. I mean, it's just like, yeah. we, we all need, um, we all need better care in all areas of our lives. And because we are, we're, we're doing our best, but we're working through some trauma. So that's kind of like the on the ground starting point for me um, that I like to just start by naming the obvious there. But the other thing is that, yes, empathy and co compassion, as you said, they kind of get elided in people's conversation. And I think, of course, I, I've done it myself and it's easy to just sort of, well, that's kind of means the same thing, but there is a bit of a distinction to be made. So you can empathize with um, anyone who's feeling anything. Empathy just means feeling with somebody, being able to really mm -hmm. tune into their state of mind, to their emotions, to what they're going through. Um, compassion is a little different in that. So it's etymologically, it's rooted in the Latin cum and pati, which means to suffer with. Mm -hmm. So we are tuning into somebody who is in pain when we're talking about compassion. 
somebody who's stressed, who's struggling, who's maybe burned out, who's dealing with some kind of a toxicity in their life. And we're trying to understand and feel with them. But then very importantly, we're doing something. Compassion has an action component. So mm -hmm. it's empathy plus action mm -hmm. to try to alleviate the suffering. And sometimes it's the nature of suffering that there isn't a lot we can actually do to make it better. And sometimes our best efforts to make it better actually only make it worse. But then the conversation um, begins to be about what, what does a compassionate presence look like? And how is that active even in yeah. and of itself? And we think about, you know, a compassionate managerial presence. What does that look like in the workplace? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so really help helping people experience the workplace as as um, you know here is somewhere where I can be fully human, where yes I've got some stuff I'm working through and I I can trust that I'm seen, that I'm empathized with and that I'm supported in in active ways wherever that's possible. That's that's what I what I start to get excited yeah. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that explanation and distinction. It's interesting. Um, I'll jump into our first data point in a second, but I, I remember, because I, I think about empathy and compassion a lot. And I remember, I don't know if it was like a trend of how people thought or if there was just something innate to me, but to your point, like, I remember oftentimes with the best intentions, like if somebody would tell me something like that, you know, not great that happened to them, I would say, oh, but at least this didn't happen or it's a good thing. And now like everything that I've read about it and I even call myself, I, I can't remember who I was talking with the other day, but I almost did that. I would, like they told me something and I was like, oh, at least and I'm like, no, Sonia, Sonia, don't do it. Don't do it. Because now I've learned that it's those, you know, some of the maybe what seems like silver linings, like people sometimes just want to be heard. And if you can't necessarily solve something for them at that point, like don't look at just the bright, like don't remind them of the, of the bright sides because sometimes just holding that mm -hmm. challenge with them and helping them feel like they're not alone mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is the most that you can do. But I think mm -hmm. that's also why probably you're getting an increased amount of work because mm -hmm. this is to your point, it is a skill that can be developed, but it needs to mm -hmm. be developed. And it's, it's oftentimes, yeah, like it's unnecessarily something like I think there is one step of people accepting the compassion is important in the workplace, but acceptance or realization of it doesn't mean it's you're automatically going to become this amazingly compassionate person, much like if I decide tomorrow, you know, I feel like running is really good for my body. I'm a terrible runner right now. Like I'm not going to go out there and, you know, get on a marathon and, and get this crazy time. I probably wouldn't, you know, like even make it through it, but there are different steps and different trainings. And I think that's what people need to realize and give themselves be self-compassion and give themselves a break to say, I want to learn these behaviors. I want to do what's right, but it's also going to take me time to get there. Yeah. And it's going to take me conscious time investment. And so the first data point, both are related to our discussion, but the first one, because you had mentioned, um, you know, something around managers and, and others providing you support. So one of the things that we do for our podcast is we go out and we ask, you know, um, workers in the United States through, you know, our question pro surveys around how they're currently feeling, what they're thinking. And the question that we asked them for this podcast was, when you are in distress at work, does your manager provide support? And so we saw that just over half, 51% of people said yes, absolutely always. 
30% of people said sometimes, 12% said rarely, and 7% nearly never or never. Based on your work, when you saw these results, what was your reaction? Yeah. So as with all data, it's it's all in the spin. It's all in the take. And honestly, my first knee jerk, you know, got intuitive response on managerial support was I was so happy, actually, to see that over half of those surveys felt that their manager always provides them support when they're distressed. I think that's truly awesome. Um, And to the extent that this is representative, there are a lot of people out there feeling that direct empathy and advocacy from their managers, which is wonderful. And that said, there's this other angle you could take, which is, you know, that just under half of workers can't count on being seen and supported when they're struggling. So 30% said sometimes. That's a fair amount of inconsistency when it comes to that support. And nearly one in five say rarely or never. That's a fair amount of silent struggle in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, we'll get into the question on self-compassion too, which sometimes is the trickier part. But Mm -hmm. I was both encouraged (laughs) and happy, but then I took a step back and went, but wait, there's still a lot of people who need more consistent support at work. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so interesting that you say that because for me, coming from a research background and, and similar passions as yours, I've learned over time. So when we would ask a different guest different questions, like my initial reaction would be like, oh, but 49% like, you know, didn't say always and it should. And, and a lot of our guests would say, yeah, Sanya, but you got to remember we're coming from a certain reality. And although that's the potential goal, it's probably at least very optimistic to your initial interpretation to say at least a lot of people can rely on their managers, which probably if we asked 10 or 20 years ago, my guess, I don't have the trend data from then, but my guess is that the results would be pretty different. Now, what we do with those results and what organizations do, like the work that you do is really important because it's to say, well, if the results are relatively split, where do I fall as an organization and how consistent are my managers in providing that support? Because in a lot of the research that we do, oftentimes we'll find that it's not necessarily based on the overall culture, but it is actually manager dependent. And you might have some organizational values that emphasize that this is an importance in the organization, but maybe your managers are not delivering on it consistently. Mm -hmm. So exactly Mm -hmm. where your work comes in, or even maybe for individuals to say, if I'm building out this network, and if I feel like I generally get along with my manager really well, but maybe this is not an area of his or her strength, Mm -hmm. where else can I find the support in the workplace? So it doesn't make Mm -hmm. me directly dependent on that person. So to your point, I feel like it's encouraging to see the results. And then I think there are also some relatively like good and actionable things that individuals and organizations can do, because I don't think the work is done, right? I don't think either one of us are saying like, wow, these numbers are amazing. Like, Mm, Andrea, you can go find a different calling now because your job is not like, no, no, no. Like (laughs) the the good news is, is that it's not doom and gloom. And like, how in the world are you going to make a difference? But there's certainly still a, a pretty big opportunity. And then we'll look at the next data point because to your um, to your earlier comment, there's also a big thing about self-reflection and what do we do, right? So we, we turn to others for support and compassion, 
but how do we treat ourselves? And, and one of the things that I've really loved that I found in conversations with my friends and things that I've been reading, even, you know, in articles and social media is the number of people who are saying how much focus they're going to place on themselves this year. Mm. And more in the sense of where before you would read a lot about, I'm going to accomplish this and I'm going to push myself harder and I'm going to hustle and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z is people giving themselves grace and people realizing that maybe they've been too hard on themselves and that it is a work in progress and that they are going to practice um, more self-compassion. So anyways, without going much further into that, because I do want your take on it, our our next question, uh, again, sample size of 300 workers across the United States is when you make a mistake at work, to what extent do you respond with self-kindness versus self-criticism? So 30% said almost always with self-kindness. 15% said more often with self-kindness than self-criticism. 25% said equally with self-kindness and self-criticism. 21% said more often with self-criticism than self-kindness. And 10% said almost always with self-criticism. <laughs> what is your take on this one? I mean, I've never like seen almost a more even distribution. Yeah, it's across very responsive. <laughs> like it's like there's that curve right there. Oh uh, yeah. So it's interesting. In my work with organizations, self-compassion is usually the trickier part for people. I feel like this data reflects that a bit, but as you said, it was pretty evenly distributed. So it's often the case that people are better at being more attentive and more empathetic and more actively kind and compassionate towards others than they mm -hmm. are themselves, right? And you know, as you as you said, this is getting more airtime out there. People are paying better attention to self-care and self-kindness and wellness in all areas uh, in their professional lives. But there is some work to do. And I find this especially with leaders, with managers, for, with anybody who, who has a leadership bent or position, they, they often tend to have quite harsh and strident inner critics mm -hmm. that, that are sort of goading them all of the time to do more and do better and convincing that, that, that they're, they're just not good enough yet. And so when I look at the numbers... Uh, again, I was encouraged by the, the numbers of people who really genuinely most of the time or all of the time tend to be kind to themselves. And the other side of it is that, you know, when 56% of workers are saying that at least half the time, half the time or more, they respond with criticism in the face of a mistake, to me, that is an invitation to cultivate, you know, just a more intentionally self-compassionate way of being at work. And, and it's so... It's so compelling, the research on self-compassion. I'm a huge fan of Kristen Neff and her work around self-compassion and, and mental health and decreasing anxiety, depression, treating trauma responses, really just finding ways to soothe the nervous system through interacting with yourself in a different way. And this gets very nitty gritty. And in my workshops, I go... I have people practice things like putting their hand on their heart and saying to themselves, you know, conjure up a, a, a mistake you recently made or, <clears throat> or something hard you went through. And what mm -hmm. is it like to, to sit there and, and to close your eyes and say to yourself, this is a moment of struggle. 
everybody struggles. May I be kind to myself in this moment. So you're noticing what you're going through. You're remembering that everybody goes through crap, through hard times. Everybody means mistakes. You're not alone. And then you are intentionally choosing to be kind to yourself. And that can be something as simple if you're at work as I'm going to get up and stretch and refill my water bottle. And I, you know, and that's going to be my way from my way of distracting myself from this, this mistake I made on this spreadsheet, because it's doing me no good to obsess about that right now. It, it gets into just your practices at work, the way you relate to yourself. Are you, are you able to bring yourself out of those uh, spirals of self-criticism that we all get into sometimes? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it really does make a difference. People think that if they stop uh, haranguing themselves that that their performance and their productivity is going to go is going to go down, and it's actually the opposite. It makes you a much more resilient, creative, bold, uh, just a, a, a more well-rounded, well-functioning person when you can choose kindness, and you yeah. can get you can get out of those those spirals a little bit more quickly. So no. yeah. oh, you're, <laughs> you're speaking right to my heart. So I've personally <laughs> done a lot of work around this, particularly in the last year and a half. So when I started therapy again, I, I went to my therapist and I said, I need you to help me um, find like I, I want to feel ownership of everything that happens in my life because I feel like, and how do I do that more effectively? It was more approach to her because in my mind, it was everything that happens to me. If I feel accountable for it, then I can control it and change it. And she was like, Oh, Sonia, no, <laughs> no, 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 that's not, <laughs> we're not going to work on that. Right. Because that's not yeah. um, how I believe you should be seeing the world because sometimes mm. there are things that are going to happen that are not mm. in your control. And you need to like, understand that it wasn't, and I'm still working on it because Gia, our producer yeah. of the podcast, like we even had a conversation. I think it was yesterday where she was asking about something and she's like oh this is on me and she said no but you know I don't I don't really think it was like no but I'm like oh my god like (laughs) obviously like work in progress like this takes time Mm, Um, so I think you know for people to realize one the importance of it and two to continue to give themselves grace as they as they work on that to your point you know putting their hand in their heart the self-compassion that it's there is um a recognition and again and realization of the importance but then it's the work in progress and yeah. And having to constantly monitor how to talk, you talk to yourself. But one other mm-hmm. thing that I noticed too, and this was more in, in just my behavior, is that the more I became compassionate with myself, the, the more I like, again, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress, mm-hmm. but then I pull out some of those standards, work on that. Um, actually, that helps me be more compassionate with others, where I think mm-hmm. even before I, I tended to be more of the self-critic, because again, wanting to believe that I control different things, because if I control them, then I can fix them. But I realized that sometimes my expectations of others were also maybe more elevated than they should have been. And so it's it's almost this work in parallel that I think has helped me become more compassionate with myself. And in turn, has also helped me understand others and understand mm-hmm. like, you know, these are some of the things that maybe I expect and but maybe these are, you know, not the way to communicate them or maybe these expectations are unreasonable, et cetera. So I, again, mm-hmm. I, I love the work that you do and I think there's so much more, so much importance to it. And um, 
for the sake of time, I feel like this needs to be like a 20 hour long podcast, but maybe let's talk a little bit about what organizations can do. So like, what does compassion in the workplace look like if somebody is sitting here, whether they're an individual contributor or a manager that's, you know, leading a team and saying, you know, I'm completely bought into this concept. What can I start to do? What does this look like? What are some recommendations you would have for them? Absolutely. So let me give you some things you can start doing today. Some small steps that you can take that might help make a difference uh, around this compassion workplace. So first of all, I would say a lot of people feel like they don't have permission to care fully about those on their team, their direct reports as like full human beings to ask questions that really get at uh, how people are, are actually doing. And I'm not saying that you need to be your, your, you don't, you don't need to be a therapist at work. That's, that's not what I'm going for here. But when people realize that you are a leader who has set an emotion norm where their full humanity is welcomed, where they can bring things to the table, like, yeah, that thing that happened yesterday in the news actually is impacting me today. It's getting me down and I'm feeling sad and I'm having trouble forgetting about it. And you can have an honest conversation around that as as a manager, it really can make a difference. And that kind of dovetails into vulnerability too. And this is another thing I would say. So give yourself permission to care about people as full people. If you don't feel like you have that permission, just give it to yourself. Mm-hmm. But then also be willing to, to share appropriately about uh, aspects of your own emotions that, that maybe you you wouldn't have have before and again i'm not saying you need to you know bear it all or ha- you know have it be some kind of a confessional uh w- with with those that you're leading but you know getting on a zoom call and saying something in the aftermath of a societal event that impacts us all you know having some kind of a uh an acknowledgement of how that's impacting you mm-hmm. and maybe taking a moment of silence and giving everybody permission to just sit with their emotions for a second before you dive mm-hmm. into whatever project. Really, I mean, that's not that's not weak. That's very strong as a leader. Yeah. And that builds trust and it builds connection because it really is about connection. Another thing I would say is stop asking, how are you? If you're really connection <laughs> with, because this is a question that actually means nothing usually. People yeah. just brush it aside. It's basically a way of saying hi. So find before you check in with, with your team member, if you're a leader, take a minute to think back to maybe something that this person went through that was kind of hard, kind of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a, a really a really tough project last week that they pushed through, and but it was exhausting. And mm-hmm. so instead of saying, how are you? Just say, hey, that project last week, oh my goodness, that was yeah. that was a lot. Have you recovered from that? Because by the way, good job. But, you know, how are you holding up after that? That was yeah. really quite something last week. Something very specific around, around because it communicates that you noticed that they went through something difficult. You held them in your mind and then yeah. you cared enough to follow up about it. And that's much more powerful than a simple, how are you? Do I have time for one more? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm like, I have so much I could say. The other thing is that so Haugard and Carter came up uh, out with a book last year called Compassionate Leadership, which is just a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. But one of the 
the one of the phrases in that book is busyness kills the heart. Yeah. And I just, I love that it's, it's such a succinct way of saying that when we are overwhelmed and overloaded and when we're prioritizing our tasks over our people, it is really hard mm -hmm. to, to instill compassion into your work culture. And so to the extent that you're able to prioritize people over tasks, obviously everybody has to get stuff done at work, but mm -hmm. um, really just making that space for people, making that time for people is so important and taking time yourself to slow down mm -hmm. and to prioritize and to pair out the things that aren't necessary so that you have that bandwidth for your, for others. And then I would just I would just suggest one more team or excuse me, one more thing, which would be to try self-compassion at work. Mm. Sonia, you were saying earlier that self-compassion and compassion for others in your life, you've seen that they're linked, that when your expectations yeah. for yourself are maybe a little bit unreasonable, that that can maybe sometimes come out in your interactions with others. And I think that's something we can all relate to. When we're around someone who is used to giving themselves grace in the face of a mistake mm -hmm. or in the in the face of a challenge, they tend to like ooze that out to you too. And it, it it's for me anyway. I'll speak for myself. For me, that is motivating. That's mm -hmm. not an excuse to slack off. That's like, oh, you mean it, it? I have I have some wiggle room here, and it's okay if it doesn't go perfectly. So I can I can bring it because it's safe. Like that's yeah. an invitation to really excel. You, that's when yeah. you can bring your creativity and, and your energy. So yeah. those are just a few things. I have so many more about <laughs> Oh my goodness. And, think, and actually like one of the ones, I don't know if you noticed um, in my eyes, but like the, the second to last one, especially made me incredibly emotional. And I think probably our listeners will maybe feel different things like as you go through, because different things will resonate with them. And and you mentioned, you know, being really busy, but making sure to take the time. And I'm, I'm looking at this like to-do list that I created when I took some time off before um, or at the end of the year. And then I came back and I started with this fresh to-do list. That's a beast, of course, like most people's are. Um, and it, for a second, when you said that, I thought, goodness, like, I hope I'm, I'm checking in with my team enough. I hope I'm showing up for them. People are going through so many different things right now because I, I think, I hope inside our team, we've been able to build pretty strong compassion, but I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, am I checking in enough? Or am I just bombarding people with these messages around checking in on projects? And and one thing that I hope, so again, looping back to your last one of self-compassion, like my mind went to, you know, I hope I've done this enough over the last two years or however long, like my, that's actually mm -hmm. how long most of our team has been together. Mm -hmm is that if people know that you care, sometimes if you get caught up the day to, in day to day, that they don't think like all of a sudden the person doesn't care. But then mm -hmm. the other thought that I had is I need to add that to my to-do list to make sure mm -hmm. to your point that I ask everyone how they are, uh, but to really do it mindfully, purposely, purposefully, and set aside enough time for those conversations. Because again, I, I try to do it on continuous basis, but sometimes you don't know if your team member is going through something. And if you don't open that door proactively, they maybe still don't feel comfortable enough mm. to bring it up, but it's weighing them down. So like I, you mentioned that and I just felt this like surge. And so I had to explain mm. myself because I don't know if you noticed as you were talking, but like my eyes just like swelled up. But um, Andrea, 
thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing all of these things. Maybe we can follow up and, and do some kind of a blog post because again, like we have, I feel like so much more to talk about, but yeah, I think you, you uncovered so many different things. I appreciate you sharing so many practical action steps and items with people in a topic that's so incredibly complex and that could have never been more important than it is today. And I think it's going to be increasingly important. So the sooner that we embrace it, the sooner we start practicing and learning how to be compassionate, I think it's just going to have these enormously added additive benefits, not only to ourselves, uh, but to everybody around us and to mm-hmm. everybody around us. I think if we practice, practice it in the work environment, it will spill over into our personal world as well. So it's this just absolutely huge win-win. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for everything that you shared with us today. Mm. Just again, so incredibly, incredibly valuable. And I can't wait to continue to, you know, watch all these incredible things that you do as a professional and all these incredible differences that you continue oh, to make in people's lives. Wow. I feel so encouraged and so honored by your words and just the chance to talk with you today. Like I said, I feel like are, we are passionate about so many of the same things and wellness care empowerment all of the you know all of the the human the very human things that we need in the workplace to excel and to be the best people that we can be in the world so what a fun conversation and let's keep having more yes thank you thank you so much everybody thank you andrea thank you everybody for listening and we can't wait to see you again soon take care all right you too bye bye Your culture has changed since 2020. It's time for a culture assessment. Our WorkXO assessment measures eight culture markers that are super relevant to your ability to navigate constant change. Things like agility, transparency, collaboration, and inclusion. And it tells you whether you have the archetypal culture patterns that might be holding you back. In just a 15-minute email survey, you'll learn actionable insights to help you thrive in today's environment. Get yours today. Learn more at propelnow.co.